Good evening, church. Good to see you guys tonight, or at least for you guys to see me. Uh, it's good good to be back here in the church preaching again. Um, not going to lie, this is a little strange, uh, in an empty room by myself preaching to a camera. Um, a little bit different than the norm, and I, I really miss seeing you guys. Um, I miss fellowship with you guys every week. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice to know that you guys are worshiping with me every week online and getting to watch the sermons and getting to be able to uh, interact with each other that way. Um, but I do miss you guys. I miss being able to see you and and um, praise our God together with you. It, it's been really hard not seeing you guys in person. Um, but tonight, I'd like for you to go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to continue our study there. Uh, we've been going over that for a, the past few weeks. And um, I, I would ask that if you haven't already read through the entire chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, go ahead and do that in your spare time. Um, it's a it's a very dense chapter. Uh, it's going to take us a little bit of time to get through it. Uh, it's got a lot of really dense material, but I'm excited about it. Um, it's some hard stuff. Um, and so I, I would encourage you to go ahead and start reading through it and just kind of get familiar with the text. That way, as we're, we're studying it together, you'll, you'll be familiar with it already and it won't be brand new to you. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 8 through uh, the first part of verse 10 tonight as our as our main area of focus, but I do want to go ahead and read the end, the uh, from the beginning, verses 1 through 10, just to be on, on the safe side. Let's go ahead and read that together. It says this, Now I make, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that He appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's go ahead and pray, guys. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to uh, study your word together as a church. Lord, uh, it's under unusual circumstances. Uh, but Lord, we're grateful nonetheless that you've given us uh, the, the church body uh, to be able to study together. And um, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that, that we have to, to uh, study it and grow from it. Lord, I pray that you would just bless our time together tonight. Help us to understand your word uh, so that we can be made more like Jesus and that we can follow you better. Lord, it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so Paul is one of the most familiar figures in all of Scripture. I would say besides Jesus Christ himself, Paul is probably the most recognizable person in the New Testament. And we're so familiar with Paul because he wrote so much of the New Testament, and his ministry has influenced the world beyond assessment. Even non-Christians, non-believers, know who Paul is, and they, they know a lot about Paul. Um, even these verses that we are studying tonight are probably very familiar to us. We've heard them before. We've read them in our studies. We know that Paul claims himself to be the least of the apostles. An, an apostle untimely born, an apostle by the grace of God. But do we really know what Paul means by these claims? Do we truly understand what Paul is saying, or have we maybe shuffled past these verses 
because of their familiarity. I'm praying that tonight the familiar would be made clear to us. One of the most nerve-wracking times in my life was when the church nominated me uh, as a deacon uh, to serve the church. I was only 25 years old uh, when I was asked to serve in this capacity. I had never served in a position of this magnitude before. And even though I was honored to be considered suitable for a position, I was absolutely terrified, and, and so was Melody. Uh, the reason I was so scared was because I didn't feel like I was suitable for this position. Um, and honestly, I, I still feel like that today. Our deacon body is made up of an excellent group of men who love the Lord, and they serve His church faithfully. When I compare myself to the wisdom, love, and compassion of the other deacons, I fall drastically short. And... Um, and and I feel like sometimes I'm honestly a disservice to our church in a, in a way. And, and this isn't a, a hollow, feigned attempt at humility. This isn't me just trying to, you know, get a pat on the back. This is how I truly feel. I honestly feel this way. Um, and, and that's the way I feel most days. But I feel as though there are other men that are better suited for serving in this position than I am. And I believe this is kind of what Paul is trying to convey to the Corinthian church here in the text. He's trying to express to express to the Corinthians that he was an unlikely and unqualified apostle. Yet, he was chosen by the grace of God to be used as an instrument for his glory. So let's take a look at the first part of this text. Um, point number one is that Paul is the last of the apostles. Paul, the last of the apostles. It's always important to look at the context of the verses that you're digging into. And that's especially true when it comes to a sermon like this, where uh, the first verse that we're going to look at is the second half of a sentence, you know, like we see in verse 8. Reading a verse like this out of, out of context can lead to misinterpretation. Paul starts chapter 15 by reminding the Corinthian church about what the gospel truly is. In verses 1 through 2, he reminds them of the gospel that he originally preached. He makes it clear that the gospel has not changed since he made it known to them. It's the same gospel that they believed in and that they still stood firm in. Verses 3 through 4 serve to remind the church what the gospel actually is. Paul says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That should be familiar to you because that's our memory verse of the month. So it's almost like Paul is saying, I know you know this, but just in case you don't know, you should know. That's kind of what he's getting at here. Then in verses 6 through 7, Paul makes it clear that Christ was risen from the dead because of the fact that he appeared to so many people uh, that they were familiar with. People like James, Peter, and the other apostles. Pastor Cody talked about this last week. Paul introduces here this term, apostle. Uh, the office of an apostle is characterized by two main aspects. First, the office of an apostle is uh, an apostle had to have been in direct contact with the risen Christ. Second, an apostle had to be someone called specifically to proclaim the gospel or to found new churches. And we see this in, in Mark chapter three. Uh, the Greek, it, the word apostle is two Greek words, apo, which means away, and stelos, which means sent. So apostelos, sent away ones. That's where we get the word. The second aspect of the office of apostle is key. Notice in verse 6, Paul says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people, yet we know that they were not all ordained as apostles. So what is Paul doing here? 
Why does he mention that Christ met with these men after his resurrection? It's because Paul is making his case for the authority of the office of apostleship. He wants the Corinthian church to understand that the apostles have the direct orders from Jesus about how to instruct toward living for the glory of himself. Paul is about to make some very bold claims here in chapter 15. He's going to say some hard things about the resurrection of the dead that honestly makes me squirm a little bit. And it's not because I don't believe those things. It's just that they're, they're hard to understand. They're hard for me to understand when I read them. Um, and the Corinthian church would have the same reaction about what Paul's fixing to say. That is why Paul is making his case for the authority of an apostle. It's so that when he makes these bold statements regarding the truth of the resurrection, the Corinthian church will remember that they can trust his word because he speaks the word of truth from the Spirit. Okay, But notice that Paul doesn't claim his apostleship of pride. What, what does he say? Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. We're going to spend some time unpacking this terminology, uh, but even at face value, we can tell that Paul doesn't feel proud of his title of an apostle. If you're at all familiar with this section of scripture, this is the part that you know. In particular, the phrase, as to one untimely born, stands out as significant to us. That, that stands out as a red flag. Something special about that, that phrase. Um, I've heard it preached and taught on for years, and typically, the interpretation that I hear is something along the lines of the unusual timing of Paul's call of, from Christ. The other apostles had already been called by Jesus, and they were currently going uh, about the work of Christ and proclaiming the good news to Israel. They were already going about their work. In fact, Christ had already ascended to heaven at this point. So the fact that he appeared to Paul after it seemed like Christ was, un, was done ordaining his workers seems just a bit strange. Some would say this has to be the reason for Paul being as to one untimely born. And there is some merit in this view. I'm, I'm, I'll give him credit. There is a little bit of merit in this view. I can't deny the strangeness of how Paul was called by Christ to be an apostle. But I think that this view is missing the mark. Times like this are when it's helpful for us to look at the original Greek to see what's really going on here. If we look at this phrase, as to one untimely born, in the original Greek, we see that it is the word ektroma. Ektroma. This word ektroma literally means aborted or miscarried. Paul is literally saying that he is an aborted or miscarried apostle. Now, we know the heavy weight that comes with these words. Both are unfortunate and both are grievous. But that's the type of sentiment that Paul has in mind when he thinks about himself as an apostle. This is an expression of how unworthy Paul felt to be considered an apostle of Jesus Christ. We, when compared to the men listed before him, Paul felt like there was absolutely no comparison. He had no business to be considered in the company of the other apostles that had been faithful to Jesus ever since the beginning of his ministry. Maybe this is you. Maybe you feel like you just don't compare to others within the church. If that's so, let me assure you that you are not alone in this. There are many within the body of Christ who feel as though they just don't measure up to other believers. There's always going to be someone else who is smarter than you. Always. 
someone who has a better understanding of the scriptures than you, someone who seems to serve more than you do, someone who is gifted in certain areas more than you are. But guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we are not called to measure ourselves against other men. Our standard of measurement is Jesus Christ. And he has already measured up for us. Okay? Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 say this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my, my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ has already done the work for us. We don't have to do anything to compare ourselves before others and earn favor before God. When the Father looks at us, He will see the works of the Son. Even in our weakness, Christ makes us great because He is great for us. Now as we move forward, we will see that the first and second points are closely tied together. Uh, seeing how Paul saw himself as the last of the apostles helps us to understand why he also saw himself as the least of the apostles. That's point number two. Paul, the least of the apostles. Paul, the least of the apostles. As we just saw in verse 8, Paul describes himself as the last of the apostles because he feels as though he doesn't compare to the rest of the apostles. But look at what he says here in verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. Now, it's easy to be confused by Paul's intent here, especially with the preceding verses. I've heard it said that Paul is, refer is referring here to his lack of ability and his lack of qualification as an apostle. Uh, some people argue that Paul didn't feel like he was an adequate, that he was adequate enough in knowledge or capability to be an effective apostle because he just finished saying that he was the last of the apostles. I don't think this is at all what Paul means here. And one reason is because the rest of, the rest of Scripture says the complete opposite. Um, we see in 2 Corinthians 11.5, Paul says, For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. 2 Corinthians 12, 11, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. And in Ephesians 3, 7-8, Paul says, Of which, uh, referring to the gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Clearly, Paul does not see himself as an unqualified because of a lack of knowledge or ability. So what does he mean when he calls himself the least of the apostles? What does he mean? Well, the second half of verse 9 gives us the answer. Paul says, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul saw himself as unfit to be called an apostle of Christ because of his own sin. Okay, We all know Paul's story. We know what he's done. Paul ravaged the church. He sought out followers of Christ and imprisoned them or put them to death. He pursued them with rage in his heart and he did it all under the banner, uh, the banner of zeal for God. No wonder Paul doesn't feel worthy to be called an apostle. This dude is one big sinner. And I'm sure many of you sitting there listening to the sermon, you're already thinking in your head, oh, Brock, I know where you're going with this. 
you're thinking, I've heard this a thousand times. Yes, Paul was a big sinner, but I'm a big sinner too. Um, I can't look at Paul's sin as any different than mine. And if you're thinking that, you're absolutely correct. That is where I'm going with this. Again, I think that sometimes we allow ourselves to get spiritually lulled to sleep by passages that we're familiar with, and we, are, and we kind of stop challenging ourselves with them. Well, I'm telling you right now to snap out of it. Right now. When is the last time that you saw your sin as awful and grotesque as Paul saw his sin? Do you see yourself as a murderer, a slanderer, a convict with no hope in your own deeds? Or do you view your sin in a little softer light? I mean, I don't think that anyone in this church has murdered Christians for pleasure, so the occasional cuss word that you let slip isn't all that bad, right? Taking a little longer on your lunch break than you're supposed to isn't really that big of a deal. It's not really stealing because you do so much for your company. Impure thoughts about someone beside your spouse, uh, those aren't really as bad as long as you don't act on them, right? I mean, no one else really knows your thoughts beside yourself, so what's it hurt? Friends, this is fatally wrong. We cannot view our sin in this manner. No sin is a little sin. I'm currently doing a study through uh, Genesis, and I can't help but think about original sin right here. Uh, what did Adam and Eve do in Genesis 3? They ate a piece of fruit. That was the original sin. They ate a piece of fruit. Eating a piece of fruit isn't that big of a deal, so what in the world happened? Guys, our judgment of sin does not matter. Let me repeat that. Our judgment of sin does not matter. Adam and Eve sinned because they did what God told them not to do. Regardless of what it was that God told them not to do, it's sin if they chose to do it anyway. God could have told them not to cross their eyes and touch their nose, but if they had done it, then they would have been in sin for that. Eating a piece of fruit isn't an inherently sinful act. The fact of the matter is that they did exactly what God told them not to do. And as a result, the whole world literally fell apart. They lost their perfect fellowship with God, and they brought the penalty of death upon us all. So when you commit a sin against God, don't you dare try to justify your sin to yourself. If Adam and Eve were condemned by just eating the piece of fruit they were told not to, then you are certainly condemned every time that you break God's law that he has given to us. You see, Paul understood this. He grasped the magnitude of what he had done. He knew that his sin was too great for himself to bear. Again, Paul saw himself as both the last and the least of the apostles. But having this great view of his sin leads us to our final point. Point number three is that Paul was an apostle by the grace of God. Paul, an apostle by the grace of God. Paul knew that he was a big sinner in need of a big Savior. He once thought that his righteous deeds as a Jew were a means of that salvation. But when he saw his wickedness before the perfection of Christ, he understood that there was nothing that he could possibly do to earn him favor from God. The recognition of his own deep spiritual depravity was necessary before he could experience the grace of God. You know how they say that you can't appreciate the highs until you've been through the lows? Well, the same applies to when it comes to understanding God's grace. Uh, because Paul had such a full view of his own sin, he was driven closer to Christ because he realized how much he needed the grace that was offered to him. 
Before we go any further, I think it's important that we understand what I mean by this word grace. Uh, we hear the word a lot, but if we don't truly know what it means, then how are we to receive it properly from the Lord? So here's a definition of grace. It's the unmerited, unearned, undeserved kindness and favor of God towards sinners. Again, the definition for grace is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved kindness and favor of God towards sinners. The key to understanding grace is that it is a gift from God. There is nothing that we can do to gain more grace from God, and there's nothing that we can do to lose grace from God. Grace is completely an act of God that is independent of our actions. God's grace is also infinite. There are many people who believe that God has a certain amount of grace that He is, has uh, set aside for mankind and stored up for them. And all we can do is hope to withdraw from that storehouse of grace. This is false. God's grace extends beyond our comprehension. So he can never run out for us. When we refer to grace, there are two types of grace that exist. The first type is common grace. Common grace is a type of grace that God shows to all mankind. Um, this refers to things like how God blesses us with functioning bodies, uh, homes to dwell in, food to sustain us, uh, senses to enjoy his creation, and families to love. The second type of grace is what we call effective grace. This is the grace that God extends to those that he chooses to save. He gives this grace by calling his chosen people to believe in the salvation that Christ provided through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. For tonight, we were re referring to this type of grace, the effective grace. A grace shown to believers resulting in salvation. Uh, now, Paul understands the gravity of this grace. The grace shown, uh, excuse me, uh, clearly, since he is the least of the apostles due to his awful crimes against the church, uh, Paul isn't deserving the salvation that Jesus offers. But because of grace, Paul is still called a child of God. Because of grace, he is made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And as verse 10 says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now this is another one of those parts of scripture that I feel like we've grown dull towards. Um, we've heard it so many times that it's almost like a slogan for Christians. Slap it on a bumper sticker, print it on a t-shirt, because it sounds so good to say that by the grace of God I am what I am. Honestly, half the time I'm convinced that we even say this out of pride. Uh, when someone tells us how proud they are of us for, for how spiritual we are, we like to puff out our chest and say, well, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Do we really mean that? Do we really? Do we really feel like we owe everything that we are to the grace of Christ? Or are we just saying this because it's the proper Christian response? Guys, let me, let me tell you, I'm guilty of this. It was at this point in writing the sermon that I literally had to stop typing and repent. I'm guilty of this. I, I, I know that sometimes I, I take pride in the gifts that God has given me and I take credit for them myself and, I'm, and I like to be proud of, of the, the spiritual gifts that God's given me. And that's, that's improper. Um, that, that's, that's not understanding the grace that God has shown me. So I, I want to confess that to you as, as a church because I, I think it's important for, for us to confess sins to one another so we can keep each other accountable. So let's be careful that we truly attribute everything that we are to the grace of God alone. 
And, and why is this an important statement to make to the Corinthians? Why does Paul say this to the Corinthians? Well, in the Greco-Roman culture of the time, humility was not a quality that you aspired towards. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing. Um, the culture of the day promoted self-promotion because of the heavy influence of modern philosophy. Aristotle, Plato, and other great thinkers had already influenced this culture into thinking largely of yourself because of your abilities. So, for a Christian in this culture, there was a real temptation to view yourself as the victor in your faith. Paul could have easily thought that his works and deeds had surely earned him enough favor with God that he basically owed Paul salvation. It would have been easy for Paul to feel that way. But this, this certainly isn't a temptation in today's culture, right? We don't face this. Surely it's much easier for us to see our salvation in the light of grace than it was for Paul. Wrong. Our modern American culture is exactly the same. Uh, the world we live in tells us that we've done enough to earn favor from God. All the time that we've spent coming to church and listening to sermons, that's deserving of a withdrawal from the savings account of grace, right? All the many types of service that I'm involved with at church, yep, God owes me for that too. Another withdrawal. All the books and scripture that I've read, that certainly counts for a withdrawal from the grace bank. Or how about this one? All the tithe checks that I've written over the years. Those count for something because people like T.D. Jakes tells, tell us that the amount of money that we give is a direct representation of how much money and grace that we're going to receive back from God. Guys, the culture might be different, but the lie of the serpent is exactly the same. We haven't done a thing to earn the grace of God. It is a free gift made available to us by Jesus Christ. Now, as we conclude, I want you to think about Paul's example. Think about how he viewed himself. He saw himself as the last of the apostles because he saw himself as unworthy when he compared himself to the rest of the apostles. He considered himself the least of the apostles because of his unworthiness and his sin. But he recognized that he was an apostle purely because of the unmerited grace of God that he could never earn. My challenge for you is to consider your own standing before Jesus as a Christian. Do you sometimes feel like you just don't measure up when you compare yourself to other believers? If so, I want you to remember that the grace of Christ is sufficient for you. Jesus has already become the standard for us, and all we can do is stand in His glory. We have no reason to compare ourselves to our brothers because they are standing in the same glory, beholding the same Savior. How severe do you see your sin? Is it a big deal? Or are there sinners that are worse than you? Remember that without a proper understanding of the magnitude of our sin, we cannot possibly, possibly begin to understand our need for a Savior. And finally, do you see yourself as truly saved by grace alone? Our works mean nothing when it comes to salvation, and we have to completely depend upon the grace of God to sustain us. I hope that our time together tonight has clarified this text for you now that we've seen it in its proper context. I hope that you were challenged by it, and I hope that the scriptures would change your heart into becoming more like Christ. Guys, look on the back of your bulletins. The deacons are here for you. Your pastors are here for you. Like we always say, call somebody. Let's talk about these sermons together. 
Let's talk about challenges that you have in your life. Let's walk out our faith together as a body of Christ. All right, church guys, I love you guys. I miss y'all. I really want to see everybody, um, and I'm praying for you guys. But uh, let me pray for you as we close. Father, I thank you for this day again. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to worship you through the reading of your scriptures. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged by your word tonight. I pray that we would view ourselves in the light of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see that we are the last and we are the least, but God, it's by your grace that we are what we are. Lord, I pray that you would use the scriptures to shape our lives to be more like Jesus so that we can be better representations of Christ in this world. Lord, I love you and I praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church.